0: Shapers on Jazz FM Listen in colour in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business but it's personal. My friends
1: feel they dear up That was Bill Withers and Use Me, a lovely way to start this edition of Jazz Shapers here on Jazz FM with me, Elliot Moss. This is, of course, the place where you can hear the very best of the people shaping the world of jazz, soul, and blues, alongside their equivalents in the world of business, my amazing business shapers. And my amazing business shaper today is Jonathan Quinn. He is the Chief Executive Officer and co founder of World First. They are a foreign exchange and international payments company of some repute. You'll be hearing lots from him shortly. In addition to that, you'll also, of course, be hearing from our programme partners at Mishkondorea. Some words of advice for your business. And on top of all of that, of course, some brilliant music from the shapers of jazz, soul and blues, including Jill Scott, Dr. John, and this from one of my favourites, Isaac Hayes, Walk On By, here on Jazz FM. Isaac Hayes and Walk On By. This is Jay Shaper, as I said earlier, and my business shaper is Jonathan Quinn. He is the co-founder of a business called World First. You may not have heard of them, but by the end of the program you will know all sorts of things you never thought you would know. He's also, as I said, the Chief Executive Officer. All these lovely titles, I love it. The one thing that is true, Jonathan, is that whatever happens in life, you will always be the co-founder of
2: World First. That's true. Yeah, I'll be able to clutch onto that.
1: Now tell me, what does World First do? And people say, talk about foreign exchange and international payments. Let's start there let's explain to me exactly what it is that you guys are up to and that turns over a fair amount of money as well
2: Sure, so in simple terms um, we help individuals and companies move money around the world Um, so the individuals might be buying a house abroad or emigrating or working abroad and the companies are normally importers or exporters so they might be importing wine from France or electronics from China and they come to us um, they've often got a sort of exchange rate from their bank and we'll try and give them a better rate give them better service and we help them avoid exchange rate risk as well
1: that all sounds wonderful. Now, what back in April 2004, almost 10 years ago, um, what, what made you think that there was a gap in the market for an offering just like the one you've described?
2: Well, I used to work for various banks. And in fact, my co-founder and I started on the same day at a bank in 1996. And we were looking after massive companies and they were getting great rates and service and the banks would sort of you know, fly out to see them. And um, we kept meeting people at smaller companies and they seemed to be getting you know, far less good service and, and poorer rates. And it was the same with individuals. It was around a time when lots of people were buying properties abroad um, and you know, friends were coming up and saying their parents were buying a house in France and, and the exchange rates were you know, a long way from where we thought they should be. So the idea was simply that we would sort of bring the product, service um, and rates that the big companies were getting and give it to the smaller companies and to the individuals.
1: Was that an easy thing to do? Because I imagine you weren't the first people to have thought of that, especially not with your your banking background. How, How did you pull that off?
2: It took us about six months to get going. Um, we had to, we, we both decided that we would rather save money and um, start without borrowing any money or having any investors. Um, so there was, we, that gave us a bit of preparation time, but also meant we had some you know, financial security around it. Um, one of the hardest things, I suppose, was to make sure that we had um, uh, banks to support us because we obviously then need to um, cover the foreign exchange transactions in the market and make the international payments. Um, so we had to arrange that. And that was probably the most nerve-wracking bit because um, they wouldn't really talk to us until we were ready and... and if they'd said no we wouldn't have had a business so um, I guess that was the big deal breaker that we managed to get through um, we'd looked at the other companies in the market and, and there were a few at that time. Unfortunately, we weren't first. Um, and, and I suppose we just possibly arguably thought we could do it a bit better and um, we, we were very focused on the technology and we thought if we used good technology, we could really improve the process. Um, and we were very focused on the customer service point. Um, and we thought if we really look after these customers, you know, they'll come back and we'll build a good business.
1: I find out much more from how Jonathan Quinn has built his business world first into what is essentially a world beater in foreign exchange and international payments. Uh, time for some music. In the meantime, this is Jill Scott and Getting In The Way. that was jill scott and getting in the way jonathan quinn is my business shaper today chief executive of world first you were hearing just before uh, jill scott that he had some tenacity he focused on the an opportunity in the marketplace and then a lot of it it sounds like jonathan was relationships with the banks obviously to give you the right rates and this technology platform now 10 years ago technology was very different what did you know about those various elements i mean tenacity is an attitude but actually relationships with banks finding the right technology platform what what enabled you to actually find the right places to to focus on?
2: Yeah, that's an interesting point. So um, towards the end of my time at the banks, I was working in a kind of dual foreign exchange trading and technology role. So I I was sort of sold on the idea of what you could do with technology and and how much you could improve the process. And um, I guess also I was quite lucky when I was at Edinburgh University in the early 1990s, we were very early to have the internet. So I'd always been very interested in technology. I'd always kind of followed what what you could do and and tried to sort of understand what the sort of cutting edge was. And and so we wanted to bring together the the personal customer service and being available on the phone with me. Making sure that when we said we were going to do something, it would work, and you know we wouldn't make mistakes. And um, so it, it was putting those two pieces together. I guess having worked in a bank helped us understand um, what what motivates that the bank, and so we sort of understood what we needed to do. And you know these days compliance is a big part of that. You know we had to be extremely strict about things like that, and um, to make sure that, you know that the banks continue to be happy to, to support us when we're offering our service to our clients.
1: But while you were studying law and accounting at Edinburgh, which I believe is what you did, and a yep. fi- couple of fine subjects there, yep. um, did you think I'm going to run my own business? Was it already brewing
2: yeah I'd always wanted to run my own business um I still don't know exactly where that came from because my parents were both medical but um how know, did
1: the entrepreneur uh, yes tr- yeah. trickle out of that that's extraordinary
2: I I think I just um I suppose it, it was the 80s so maybe it was something to do with Thatcher in that time but um I, I started my first business when I was 16 um dealing in personalized number plates and I suppose that gave me a taste for it and, and I realized that um Prior to that, I was doing a paper round, so you know I got to see that you could really make quite a lot more money, quite a lot more quickly, um, uh, doing something like that, and, and it was quite exciting. And I suppose it was a bit different, and, and um, yeah, I was just interested. And I, uh, my parents had a friend who ran hotels, and I was always quite inspired by him. And I was quite into cars, and he also had quite cool cars, so I probably put those things together and thought, well, that looks like a, a good route in life.
1: So it goes back a hell of a long way. Find out much more about what inspired my business Shaper Jonathan Quinn, to build what has become a, a really powerful global business. Latest travel in a couple of minutes, but before that, some words of wisdom from our programme partners at Mishkondorea for your business.
0: My name is Andrew Remington and I'm a corporate partner at Mishkondorea. I spend my life assisting clients doing M&A transactions and raising capital. Having done many, many deals, each deal uh, has many similar components, but one thing is always different, and that is the people. Uh, understanding the individual personalities of a deal is critical to the success of any transaction. Good negotiators adopt the 80-20 rule. Generally speaking, the other parties around the table do 80% of the talking, and the good negotiators listen, try to understand what the key issues are that the other parties need or want to have from the transaction, and then try to be sympathetic to those whilst not losing sight of your own a business deal. So be a good listener, um but don't lose sight of the goal which is to achieve a deal that works for both sides Jazz shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mish Rea. It's business but it's personal You're
1: listening to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, every Saturday morning, 9 till 10, here on Jazz FM. You can also catch us on a British Airways flight, if you are so inclined, or even on ft.com or cityam.com. Or if you just fancy going to iTunes, you can look in there at the 100-plus or programmes featuring all my wonderful business shapers. If you want to tweet us today, the Twitter handle is at Jazz FM, and I will endeavour to get back to you. Jonathan Quinn is my business shaper today. He's the chief executive of World First, and you were hearing earlier, I hope, that he has helped grow the business along with his co-founder, founder, to become, and now what's the turnover? It's billions, isn't
2: it? Uh, it was over $10 billion last year.
1: That sounds, I mean that's a ridiculous amount of money yeah. for, for, the, for the boy that did a paper round. You know, the aspirations start young, and as you said, you then actually got hold of what the idea might be. Often people are focused on what they want to build. They don't think about the money. Were you going? I want to build a ten billion dollar turnover business, or was it not like
2: that? No, not really. I mean, I think it's very difficult when you're starting to to look too far ahead. Sometimes people give me business plans for businesses that haven't even started, and they've got sort of five year projections, and it's it's very difficult to do that. So we really only looked a couple of years ahead. So so we had some goals that we wanted to try and get to um, by then. Um. And but but after that, you know, we had the odd dream. You know, you probably as you're going to sleep at night think, what will we built A really big business and. and to be honest, I still have those, you know, because I still think there's lots to go. Um, but it wasn't really about the money. We did genuinely want to try and make the process better. I mean, you know, particularly then and even now to some extent for a lot of people, foreign exchange is a hassle. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes they're walking into their branch with bits of paper and ID to try and make a payment which takes a while and not everybody understands the, the different types of account numbers and in the international payments process. So so we wanted to try and genuinely make the rates better and the service better um, and uh, you know, try and improve the, the process for our customers.
1: Now, within In a couple of years, you were listed, I believe, as one of the safest companies to buy currency from on the first ever comparison website for money transfers. That was in 2006. You were named one of the top 60 or so companies in the UK for for growth, fast growth under the Sunday Times thing. I mean, and I think you got the Queen's Award for Enterprise in 2009. Amazing after just a few years. What was going right? What were the two or three factors, do you think, for a young business like yours to be able to achieve those kinds of things?
2: Sure. Well, I think there's a number of things you have to have in place, the most important of which is the people. And that sounds like a cliche, but it's, it's absolutely true. Um, our view was that we had to hire brilliant people Um, And we've always looked to hire people with five key personality traits, nice, friendly, bright, professional and proactive. And our idea was if we hired people with those traits, they they give the best customer service. Um, And we always thought, well, if we give good customer service, the clients will come back. And if we give great customer service, they'll come back and they'll recommend us. And that's how we can get the kind of mushrooming growth. So I think the, the people are very important. We also then thought, well, if we hire nice people, they'll be nice to each other. We'll hopefully create a nice work environment. We'll hopefully get retention of people. And I think that's quite crucial to growth. And then we've always tried to have a quite a clear goal. We've always tried to, you know, know where we want to get to and how we're going to get there. And and we subscribe very much to the, the philosophy of um start small, think big, move fast. And so we've tried to, you know, be agile, try to do things as soon as we felt there's an opportunity to do them. We've tried to expand globally, so we've now got offices around the world. Um and, and I think um I suppose we, as founders, were quite driven. We, you know, we, we wanted to achieve it. Um, we're probably quite competitive people, so, so we, we were driven to, to prove both to ourselves and perhaps to others that, that we could do it.
1: What a great list. If you're listening on audio demand, go back and take some notes. That was fantastic. Much more coming up from Jonathan, but in the meantime, time for some more music. Dr. John and
0: Revolution. <laughs>
1: was Dr. John and Revolution. Jonathan Quinn is my business shaper. Jonathan, we've been talking about the factors for success. When you uh, And it's unusual that a business grows that quickly and that you sustain it. And you talk about the, also the, the culture you created, a very happy culture. And I believe in the Sunday Times, best companies to work for as well. And one and two star commendations, all those other things as well. When you get to that five-year-in situation, was there a kind of, right, what do we do next? Where are we going now? Not that you necessarily had a five-year plan, as you said earlier, that wasn't, isn't necessarily the right way to go. But at that point, there must have been a moment where you said, we need to push again.
2: Yeah, I think, I think there's, there's probably about three or four uh, times in our growth where we thought, right, um, we now need to move to the next level. Um, and, and international, as I mentioned, was one of those where we thought, OK, we've built this product, we've built the technology that underpins it, you know, we understand how it all works, and we've, we've, we've got the kind of banking relationships behind that. Now we should roll it out internationally. And with the right systems, that, that's not as hard as it sounds. You know, I could probably open an office in Germany tomorrow because once you've got an internet connection, um, you know, we, we could pretty much turn it on. So Don't make it sound so easy. <laughs> How many people do you have working for you, just for perspective? Uh, we're about two hundred and thirty in three different locations. Yeah, mainly in the UK, uh, America, and Australia. We've just opened an office in Singapore. So it's like
1: the warning at home: don't try this at home unless you really know what you're doing. Because that's a. Fa- I mean, you do make it sound easy, but you're saying that technology is a massive enabler.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We, we have to have that underpinning what we do. Um, it's just that the way we've built it enables us to kind of roll it out. So, so that was one of them where we thought, okay, well we could we can really scale this up. And I suppose that we reached some sort of financial milestones that, that, that gave us more security to feel like we should push on and, and to reinvest some of the profits from the business. Um, and so there's times where we thought, actually, OK, we need to hire now, we need to move to better offices, um, you know, we need to hire more developers. So we, you know, we're always trying to think ahead. And you know, we're, we are becoming more of a technology business by every day. And, and that requires some investment. And you know, we've got a great programming team. And I think, again, that, that helps us.
1: Now, this all sounds jolly. I'm very happy and I can feel roses metaphorically coming from every every angle. There must have been hard times as well. I mean obviously you you've come through. You don't just grow a business where you've done. How did you handle those hard times? Where would you have gone to for solace and for, for guidance?
2: Yeah, well, I think that's that's where it's quite helpful being co-founders. Um, you've got someone else that you can um, you know bounce ideas off, or you can go to when you're feeling down. And and um, we also have a chairman who's very you know helpful and, and provides support. Um, I'm a member of something called the Supper Club, which is a, a club for people who own their own businesses. And I get a lot of uh, I get a lot out of that, both kind of support from other business members, um, and I'm in a sort of group where we talk about business ideas. Um, we have we have been quite lucky. We've had a pretty good run. We haven't had any kind of major dramas. Um, that some of that is probably luck, and some of it is that we've tried to, you know, always think about the risks and try and avoid them and, you know, try and be sort of prudent in our, our growth. Prudence sounds
1: very important to you. Final chat coming up with Jonathan. Plus, we're going to play a track from Shaper of Jazz, Billy Holiday. That's coming up after the latest Traffic and Travel here on Jazz FM. Jazz Shapers
0: on Jazz FM. In partnership with Rea. It's business, but it's personal.
1: That was Strange Fruit from Billy Holiday. Just for a few more minutes, I have Jonathan Quinn, not only the Chief Executive Officer and the co-founder of World First, the $10 billion turnover, I'll say that again, $10 billion turnover business, um, but also... Um, A man who loves his technology. Now, recently, your business has had an event, um, which in in normal English means that some people have come and invested in you. Does that make a difference to your mindset as you now go forward? I mean, you're still obviously a significant owner of the business. You're still, as we said right at the beginning, you're still the co-founder. Where's your head
2: yeah, it's interesting. I think, if anything, that's maybe given us more confidence to keep going um, going through that process, which took about six months. Um, you know, the, the, the people who bought a minority stake in us did a very thorough kind of due diligence process on the business. Um, and
1: Had you actively sought that as well? Was there a moment when you said, we're ready?
2: Um, we sort of thought looking? about it, and then we'd had quite a lot of people approaching us, so we, we started to into it a bit more and then decided to do it. Um, but the due diligence process, you know, does mean that somebody has run a pretty fine tooth comb over the whole business, and, and so it's quite reassuring, and they that's a sort of competitive analysis and, and um, analysis on the outlook and, and what we could do. So I, I think that helped us be more confident. Um, I suppose it puts us in a more kind of secure financial position, and if anything, I think I'm probably you know, maybe aiming higher and, and reinvigorated and, and, and certainly looking to move it further, faster
1: you don't suddenly feel like some big part of a big faceless corporation just because you've got a, a minority investor? Because many people say, they say, I had control, it was my baby, my it was my train set, and it suddenly doesn't feel
2: like that. No, it really hasn't changed. I mean, we chose the people very carefully, that, and we made sure that we thought they were nice people. Um, uh, but also within the, 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 the sort of ground rules where that um, we wouldn't be changing the, the people and we wouldn't be changing the sort of philosophy or the ethics. So so really, if anything, you know, they are helping us and they're, you know, bringing us some interesting um, uh, sort of client opportunities, but they haven't looked, sought to sort of interfere with what we're doing. And no, it feels very much kind of business as usual.
1: Now, now, the last 10 years obviously been very, very successful. You happen to have had your business primarily based in London. You're now in two other locations, as we said. Where's the best place do you think to enable entrepreneurs like you to do business of those three that you're in now?
2: Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, London There's and the UK, there's a lot going on in the UK at the moment. Um, you know, money in the kind of fringes of the sort of tech world. But, you know, there's so many people setting things up. There's lots of, you know, the government scheme, for example, the um, EIS scheme is encouraging that. Um, more and more people seem to be um, choosing to break the free from the corporate shackles and set up. So I think actually the UK is in a good, good place at the moment. And I think that, you know, the economy is recovering. It's quite, quite an interesting time to be going. Having said that, the west coast of the US, where we're just opening an office, is, you know, is probably still the sort of the centre of that. You know, rent. Do, do you need a
1: helper on the West Coast because I'm favourable. <laughs> uh, nice yeah, Weekends are fine.
2: Yeah, but then if you look like at somewhere like Asia, you know, Asia has the highest global growth rates. So, so that's you know, if you open somewhere like there, you, you've you've got a fundamental underlying booming economy to rely on. So, I mean, I, th- I think they're all good, um, and uh, you know, hopefully we'll manage to grow all of them. I was
1: going to say, you sound very positive about all three. Just before I let you go, Jonathan,
2: what is your song choice and why have you chosen it? So, I, I really struggled to choose just one. I was very close to choosing Carol Kid, who I listened to a lot in Glasgow when I was growing up. Um, But I eventually went for Take the L Train by the Brooklyn Funk Essentials. And really just because it catapults me back to my university days, it was something I always used to listen to at the end of uh, sort of night. I think it's a very calming, quite sort of mesmerising song. Um, And I still listen to it today and I don't think it's aged. And and I think it has quite wide appeal for all types of jazz listeners.
1: Jonathan, thank you very much for being my business shaper. This is your choice. Take the L Train by the Brooklyn Funk Essentials. that was take the l train by the brooklyn funk essentials the song choice of my business shaper today jonathan quinn what a kind man positive and a really fantastic thought start small think big move fast join me again same time same place for another edition of jazz shapers that's saturday 9 a.m here on jazz fm in the meantime though do stay with us coming up next it's nigel Williams.
0: Jazz shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mish Kondereya It's business but it's personal